1: As an adult, I know that it's my superpower because I can put my emotions into my art and it makes me connect with other people really well. And I want to write a book about that for kids, especially my son, so they know that just because you're shy or introverted doesn't mean you're not just as interesting as the loud kid. You're just as important. I just want to create a character that all these kids that have felt invisible can see themselves. And know that they are beautiful and there's nothing wrong with them. And I wish I had that growing up because I didn't. And I'm sure you guys didn't either growing up in the 80s, 90s. And that needs to stop. It's 2022 for crying out loud. My name is Holly Haddam and I'm a modern minority.
2: Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is a show about all of you, for all of us.
0: On today's show, we're talking to Holly Haddam, a picture bookmaker, a greeting card designer, and a textile engineer. Holly is also the number one New York Times bestselling illustrator of Dear Girl and Dear Boy, as well as amazing kids' books like Hair Stories, Jack Not Jackie, Maxine the Maker, and her recently released Princess Charming. For Holly, diversity in kids' books is really, really important, as it is for us. Holly is Iranian, her husband is Chinese, and she has a biracial son. So for Holly, it's really important to shine the spotlight on folks that are invisible or unheard. Holly's books have been translated into over 10 languages and have sold over 1 million copies worldwide. And honestly, it's kind of the perk of the show. We just get to talk to people we admire. I've been reading books illustrated by Holly for pretty much my daughter's entire life, and- She actually, she now gets to the point when we read a book that she likes, that she's like, Daddy, are you going to interview the creator of this? And I'm like, it's so cool when I get to tell her, hey, I actually, I have a chat with Holly. (laughs) Sharon, I know your kids are a little probably too old for some of Holly's books, but what are your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the interesting thing. So my kids and Holly's son are about the same age. And Holly tells us in our chat about how she was inspired to make a difference for kids because she was having a hard time finding books that looked like her own child when he was growing up and when he was into picture books. And that that was my entire experience. I mean, when when my two little boys were around two or three or even a little bit younger, because I am a tiger mom and started them on books earlier, there was very little around that had like any main character anyway it was very difficult to find a main character that was a main character of color and certainly a main character that was biracial unless it was very stereotypical like so there were always chinese new year books and there were always yeah, yeah. you know books about my curly hair as a little black boy for example but nothing that truly represented my own kids experiences and what i love about holly is we got to talk to someone who saw that as a problem and in her everyday work is working to change that in a major way. And I I really could relate to a lot of what she was telling us. And I just felt very inspired by how she's approaching it.
0: Yeah. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with our new friend, Holly. Well, Holly, thanks for coming on the pod. It's so great to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me. Holly, I'm
0: sure you've never gotten this question in your life, but where are you from?
1: Well, I will say, it's such a complicated question because I know people usually are asking me what my background is, but that question always comes off really rude because they just say, what are you? So my <laughs>
2: They like skip they the who, they go straight they to They the just it's say, like, what, what are, are you? Are you're not a person. Are you
1: an alien? Yeah, are you an, yeah,
2: are are you an elephant? Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I used to get really upset by that question, but now I'll just reflect back and say, well, what are you? And it just stops them and their tracks so it just makes them think about it so my background is I'm Persian but I was born in the states but I've grown up my whole life in Canada
0: uh you're one of those this canadians <laughs> Yes. Well, that's what's funny. So a stereotype for Canadians, just to pick on you guys a little bit, it's like the politeness. And for you to retort with the like, what are you? That's yeah. not very Canadian. Well, of
2: it could be because she was born in the States.
0: Yeah, it's the rude American in her.
1: Yeah, you're technically an American. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like there are plenty of rude Canadians, especially if you go to Toronto, where they get picked on there to be the rude... Canadians, but I just think I've had the question thrown at me so many times that I was just tired of responding nicely. I'm like, why should I respond nicely when I'm getting really, I felt attacked. Well, why is it important for you to know right off the bat Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what my background is? I'm just, I'm a human. That's really all that should matter.
0: But I guess because of the name of the podcast, but your parents, what is the Persian connection? Did they come over pre-revolution, post-revolution? Is your mom bugging you about Stefan Farsi? Like, what was that like as a kid with Persian parents?
1: (laughs) Oh, my. So my parents, they moved. My dad actually moved to Louisiana in the 70s because he went to university there. So that's where I was born. Uh, And then we moved back to Iran for a year or two in the 80s during the war. And we came back to Canada because of the war. So I've been in Canada since 19... Oh my gosh. How old was I? 7? 1986, I think? Or 87, 88? I can't remember. And what part of Canada did you arrive in when you were seven or so? We were in a... It was a very tiny town at the time called Ajax in Ontario.
2: Got it. What was that like? What was the community in Ajax
1: like? It was fine. I never thought anything of it as a seven-year-old it's weird because living in Iran for two years, I just spoke Farsi the whole time. So I had lost any of my English that I had grown up speaking. Yeah. So when I came back, it made me that much more of an outcast. And I still have a newspaper clipping of myself in grade two or grade one about the fact that I was a Persian girl living in Ajax, and I was learning how to speak English. But now that I look back on it as an adult, I think that's such a weird article. That's not very interesting, really. You made the local news? Yeah, yeah, just just for not speaking English. Wow. Mm -hmm.
2: Were you the only child in the school that didn't speak English?
1: Yeah. Ajax is not known for its diversity. It's right. It, I think it's better now. It's much better now. But back then in the 80s, I was probably, I don't remember any other brown kids. Yeah. In elementary school.
2: And so what was that like trying to make friends? Because seven is what, first or second grade-ish, right? Yes. So it's pretty early on in elementary school.
1: I felt like an outcast in the beginning and I felt like I had to change a lot of my personality just to fit in just even as a seven-year-old like what even just the fact I remember being bullied once because there were kids asking me what my dad does and I said he's an engineer and I got beat up they were hitting me because they were making me feel that he's not a doctor or a lawyer I'm like okay I didn't know what to think of it back then
0: engineers part of the trifecta don't they know
1: I know I know (laughs) that I don't I don't know
0: Man, kids in Ajax.
1: I got a lot of racism thrown at me. Awful words back then.
0: On the flip side of that, obviously there were parts of your Persian heritage, be it the food you brought from home. <laughs> the thing. What were the Persian parts that you chose or you almost out of survival, you were choosing to hide or not bring to school?
1: It was all of it. All parts of my culture and who I really was. I hid it for a really long time up until I was. I feel like I just recently started to really open up about it just because if someone asked me where I was from and I said, I would never say Iran because it opened up a can of worms. I would always say Persian because for some reason I didn't get as much judgment as if I were to name the country. So I always had my guard up whenever we would go on a family trip to the airport. My dad would always get stopped and pulled aside just because of his name. So to me, that told me, well, I'm not accepted for who I am. People are judging me right away. So I hid it for the majority of my life. And it's just until recently that I'm like, no, why should I hide who I am, my culture? I shouldn't have to do that.
0: Yeah. As a kid, I was really into comic books, right? Still am. So I guess I'm still a kid. (laughs) But same thing, the smells and the food and the loud Bhangra music that my parents would play at home or the budgets. And I almost treat it like a secret identity, but not like a superpower. It was like a secret identity that I had to keep in my house. It couldn't come out. I'd rather go play at other friends' houses, not have them come over because then they're going to yes, find out. The... Yes. But then something happened. And I remember I was in college and I don't know if you know the story, the town I'm from is not the town I went to school, university in, but a major Shakespeare theater is in my hometown. And so for a college honors program thing, we came to see the Shakespeare Theater. And my parents were like, well, if you're going to be in town, just bring all your friends over. And I was so scared of it. I was like, okay, mom, just like keep it normal. And remember, I'm in my 20s at this point after all of the 20 years of baggage, right? I'm like, okay, mom, keep it cool. No music, no Indian food. Let's just... <laughs> and mom totally didn't do that. She did all the things. And my friends had a blast. And I was just like, oh, Aww. shit. Why didn't I have that experience in my teen years, all that kind of self-loathing and self-hiding could have gotten out of the way. Did you ever have, I guess it's such a pointed question, but those moments where you did let people in to kind of see the Persian side of you, or is it just only kind of a recent thing?
1: No, I had my close friends. My best friend, she was from Romania and she didn't move to Canada until she was 13. And so our, she fully understood my culture and her parents were strict like mine were. And so we just had a better understanding of the way we were raised. So yes, I had friends in my life that knew, but the majority of people didn't know the extent of my life at home.
0: When did you leave Ajax?
1: So I've moved around a lot. When after Ajax, we moved to Waterloo, which is where I am now. So I've made a full circle, but after Waterloo, I moved almost once a year in my 20s until we, I just made my way back home during the pandemic. And home for you is back to Waterloo, England, Ontario. Back to Waterloo. Yeah. Yeah.
2: At what point did you overcome, or maybe, I mean, because you said recently you started to realize that you didn't want to feel like an outsider anymore, or that you realized you didn't have to feel like an outsider anymore. What changed for you?
1: I felt like it was taking so much of my energy to hide that aspect of who I am and just because I'm doing kids books to bring Mm -hmm. diversity to books and I thought that it was not a good thing of me to hide who I am. I needed to show kids to be proud of where they come from and what they look like. So That's when things switched for me, especially since I have a son who's biracial. He's half Persian, half Chinese. So I never want him to grow up feeling like he has to hide that part of who he is. Yeah. How old is he now? He's eight.
2: He's eight. It's interesting, right? It kind of your journey is one where it makes me think of a saying that was told to me in the beginning of my career, which is dress the part. And I would have thought when you had said that recently, and recently is such a broad term that you came to that realization. I would have thought that that happened. I know we are old, but. (laughs) Holly's not, we are. I'm old, please. (laughs) I think we're probably all about the same age, but I would have thought that that realization would have come before the books, almost as if you came to that and then you created the books, but it almost feels like it is kind of dressing the part or because you were creating these books, you realized you had the opportunity to fully step into this acceptance in order to fully embody that part, right?
1: Yes. And once I started reading picture books to my son and realizing that there was hardly any brown kids in the books. And if they were, they were never the star of the book. They were in the background. And it made me realize that that kind of sucks and I have the power to do something about it in my own books anyway. So, wherever I can, I will always have a brown kid as the star of the book if I have the power, if they give me the power to do that.
2: Yeah.
0: And something, it was like this accidental discovery of your work. I've mentioned I'm a huge nerd for kids' books and seeking out the hidden secrets and the stuff I like, be it you or Grace Lynn, John J. Muth, stuff like that. But it's, you have a very show-don't-tell style about you, or the projects you choose to creatively collaborate on, even. And that's what I like. I mean, i am just jump. I'm going to fanboy. Sorry, not sorry. Hair uh-huh. Twins. That just punches me in the gut in a good way, because it is kind of the crux of the story, but it isn't at the same time. It's just about a girl and her dad. And I guess- what drives that realization? How do you choose the projects? Because you're both a writer and an illustrator. And I know that illustrators play 50 to 70%, honestly, of the story. How do you choose those projects or how do you seek out those projects?
1: So when I read the manuscript, it has to instill emotion in me right away. I have to feel something. And if I don't feel anything, if it falls flat, then I can't accept it because I know that the art will fall flat and you won't be able to see my joy or passion come through in the book.
0: What were some of the influences that you saw? I mean, I know you talked about it was hard to find the things that did speak to you as just a consumer of the content, right? Not just as a creator, but what were the things that did break through for you and how?
1: In the books? Do you mean as in if I saw anything with diverse kids
0: Yeah. The question is, you were saying some of the books that you read weren't really speaking to you. So I'm not even talking about as a creator, but as just a consumer, reading books to your kids, discovering books at the library or the store. What were the books that broke through for you? What were the books that kind of gave you hope?
1: (laughs) Honestly, reading books to my son when he was little, I tried to find books with an Asian character. And back then I couldn't find any Mm. but now there's so many. So even though he's out of picture books, he'll pick it up if I leave them around strategically around the house. (laughs) (laughs) So if I find, I buy picture books for myself because I'm also a picture book nerd, but if I find one with an Asian character on the cover, I will buy it and leave it around the house for him now to read just because he didn't have that chance when he was little growing up. So a lot of my books... Back then when he was little, I would go for, try to find something with to show kindness in the book, or he was a very anxious, stressed out kid. So I got a lot of books on how to handle your feelings. And I got a lot of books with animals as the characters, because I feel like, well, he could see himself in an animal more than a kid that doesn't look like him anywhere on the page. Yeah.
2: My sons are biracial as well. They are half Chinese from my side and half Caribbean, so half black from my husband's side. So they are also little brown boys and they're eight and 10. So I totally agree with you. When they were young, there really wasn't a lot. And the ones that I could find with Asian characters anyway were very stereotypically Asian, meaning there was always a Chinese New Year book, picture book showing illustrations of. Chinese kids celebrating the holiday, but not everyday stories about friendships or morals or relationships or anything else. I had gotten a gift from a friend of mine. It was like a hand-me-down. It was a book of faces. So this is probably a book appropriate for anywhere from like six months to a year. It was just photos of baby faces. And I think it was just called the Facebook. And that book had kids from all different backgrounds and heritages and cultures, and it was just all shades of skin tones and eye colors and hair colors. And she had given this to me when I was pregnant. And I didn't realize how important that one photo book was going to be because that was truly out of all of the books that we had in our house, the most diverse Book, picture book showing kids from just all countries and different noses, different eyes. And it was kind of like a book that pointed out different features. So it's kind of, these are your eyes. And you saw eyes of different colors. And this is your hair. And you saw different textures and different shades. And back then it was very rare, Holly, because our kids are right about the same age. It's pretty incredible. Yeah.
1: That's lovely to have a book like that for babies. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What inspired? some of the stories that you've written. So that first book you've told us about, and then how did the other ones come to mind?
1: Well, the books that I've written myself actually are all about animals, mythical creatures. So I haven't had the chance yet to write a book myself with a diverse character, but lately the majority of books that I accept as an illustrator has been really culturally diverse. Like Hair Twins was one of my favorite books to do. And I love the author so much. We've become really great friends. And that book was the most meaningful to me. So I am very picky about what kind of books I take on, just in this part of my career that I'm lucky enough that I can do that now. So I don't just accept anything that comes my way to me. It has to have a meeting, and I like to create change in any way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a heavy book or a culturally important book, just a book that will show kindness or even just humor, something to make kids laugh and want them to read. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, it's interesting, Holly, because I think it was kind of what Sharon and you have both been talking about as a relatively new parent as well. I've had to seek these books out, right? And there's a handful, kind of the same way you chase directors or writers, same thing in kind of kids' literature and picture books and even comic books. And again, that's changing. It really is. And it's changing faster and faster in a good way. We've had some of these authors that we've been able to have conversations with. But I think what's actually just as interesting for me, honestly, your book, Dear Girl and Dear Boy, seriously, I'm so mad at you for making me cry when I read these books. (laughs) But then other books, and again, I hate to say it, reading these books to my daughter, my brown daughter, reading Hair Twins. And while I'm not a Sikh, I get it. In Dear Girl, I get it, right? The world is kind of somewhat stacked against her. Even some of the news coming out of the United States political sphere right now has really got me upset about the world she's going to inherit. But then it's also about reading books that my daughter doesn't understand or relate to, where my daughter is the majority opinion on minority. So in the book that, man, just completely, when we booked you, I went to the library and I got all the other Hollywood Head Books that I had not read. And one of them was Jack, Not Jackie. And the book is about, I mean, it's about gender identity. And I got a bunch of books and it just kind of really revealed this to you. I got a bunch of books and my daughter had already had some of them read to her by you. And I was like, okay, it's just another book. I'm going to read this. At first time, I didn't screen it because I trust it'll be good. And it was to be clear, but I did not see what was going to happen in that book or the gender identity. I just went in reading it and it started so many questions with my daughter and she didn't blink at all, but it started a conversation. But I'm glad that we had, and that wouldn't have happened. So it's kind of a thank you. But I guess the question is, wow, you didn't even just go down the straight minority brown kid route. You went down the whole, a very charged issue in our society right now. You went and said, I'm going to work on a project and I'm going to put that to the forefront with another creator. Like, wow, why, how? I'm just so curious.
1: It's just so important to me to shine the light on these issues, especially I wanted my son to grow up feeling this is normal, right? I don't want him to judge people. I want him to have these books and learn. We talked about this stuff with him early on because it was really important to us. And he doesn't even blink an eye at anything. So for him, this is normal. So if there's enough picture books teaching little kids about these issues, then maybe these Damn issues will one day be gone and they won't be issues anymore.
0: I think there's an important word there, normal. It's like normalizing some of this stuff. It's an issue yes. for us. It's a little shocking and we have to wrap our heads around it. But yeah, it's normalizing it. It's really normalizing it. It's, it's just, just kind like, of what to me,
1: it's like, so what? So what? If they feel like they're a different gender, so what? What does it do to you? Are they being unkind to you? Are they ruining your life? No. Let people live how they want to live. They are who they are. It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. That's beautiful. In your collaboration process,
2: when you're first concepting out the illustrations or how you're going to depict the story, have you ever run into pushback on how you want to represent the kids, the characters, or anything else in the books?
1: Yes, I have. It's not as often now. Publishers now are, everyone's looking for more diverse characters in books, but I have, but I push back. I won't go down without a fight. If they say no, I'm not just going to take it and say, okay, I'm going to come back with my story and why I think it's really important. Yeah,
0: I mean, without naming names, but I'm just genuinely curious, what is the friction and what is the pushback in the world? And I ask that because we like to assume everyone's kind of on the same progressive spectrum sometimes. And they're not. The reality is the world's not as far as we thought it was. Racism did not end (laughs) in 2008 (laughs) with Obama. It was just, how is the pushback even articulated? Because people who do pushback, they don't think they're in the wrong. And just like we all think we're good and just people, but what is the articulation of the pushback, I guess?
1: I've just had people ask me, well, why are we making this character a person of color? It's almost as if they're searching for a reason. They're like, well, maybe we don't need to do that It's unless there's a reason. I'm like, but why does there have to be a reason? Why can't it just be a character that's brown Mm -hmm. with her own or his own story? Hmm. There doesn't need to be a moral to the book or Mm -hmm. anything like that. It's just, I just want to create a character that all these kids that have felt invisible can see themselves and know that they are beautiful and there's nothing wrong with them. And I wish I had that growing up because I didn't. And I'm sure you guys didn't either growing up in the 80s, 90s. I never saw myself on TV or in books. And that needs to stop. It's 2022 for crying out loud.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about representation. It kind of goes two ways, right? It's the Black kid seeing Black Panther or Miles Morales or the Brown girl seeing Kamala Khan, but it's also equally so it's the white kid seeing Black Panther or Miles yes. Morales. It's the Black kid seeing Kamala Khan, right? That's just as important to kind of the normalization. It's the straight little kid reading about a trans kid, honestly. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Have you had to do things beyond your work, but in your career Have you found that you've had to do things to kind of fit in, to kind of fit the norm, to move ahead?
1: Actually, no. Moving into kids' books was really seamless for me. It's what I've always wanted to do as a little girl. I always knew that. But along the way, I lost confidence in my art. So I didn't even attempt to go to school for illustration. But now that I'm in the world, I've never been... By anyway, by editors or creative directors that I've worked with, I've never felt like I needed to conform or change who I am or hide who I am, which has been wonderful. Did you know you were going to be an illustrator when you were younger? What did you think you
2: would be when you grew up?
1: I either wanted to be an illustrator, a writer, or work at Disney. (laughs)
0: I assume not in a snow white costume as an animator. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: as an animator. Yeah. I used to sit and dream on Saturdays. I would watch Beauty and the Beast every yeah. Saturday and drive my parents nuts. And I would just dream about working at Disney one day. Is that dream still alive? <laughs> I actually, in was it 2020, I got to work with Disney on a project for a show. So I've accomplished all my little girl dreams. <laughs>
0: What are the dreams now? What are the projects that are out there? The types of stories that you want to see told that you want to be a part of that you want to be at the forefront of?
1: It's so hard for my son to, yes, I can find books about his Asian culture. Actually, I've never seen a book about Persian culture. So I should put that on my list. But since he's biracial, I feel like it's just so hard (laughs) to find a character that he can completely relate to. So, and I don't know if that's a story. I've been trying to write a story about my son. So at least that is out there. So I just want to keep creating diverse books and books about anxiety because it's something that I deal with in my life. And my son has been an anxious little kid since he was a baby. And I feel like we are judged for that too. A lot of people, even my family can judge my son for who he is. And we're always called you're too sensitive as if it's a problem. I used to think it's something I should be ashamed of. You're too shy. You're too sensitive. But now as an adult, I know that it's my superpower. It makes me a great artist because I can put my emotions, those big emotions into my art. And it makes me connect with other people really well. And because I'm an introvert, I know how to listen and that allows me to connect deeper too. So I know that this is my superpower now, and I want to write a book about that for kids, especially my son, so they know that this is their superpower. And just because you're shy or introverted doesn't mean you're not just as interesting as like the loud kid, the kid who plays sports. You're just yeah. as important.
2: Yeah. I think that's so important for kids to know and to hear nowadays. And We're in a time where anxiety is prevalent at all different levels and all over the spectrum. I think that's a great topic for a book. I'm excited to see it when it's finally out. What's some of the feedback you've gotten? I would imagine that you probably get letters or just young readers that have seen your books. What are some of the things that you've heard about how your books have impacted the kids that you have created them for?
1: Hair Twins had a lot of impact i would get a lot of messages from parents just thanking yeah. thanking me for for this book and that it's their special culture and for their daughter to be able to see this in a book and i get a lot of messages about dear girl still going strong i think it's four years later that i'm constantly getting yeah. emails and messages about how important that book is and parents are buying it for their 20-year-old daughter. So it's not even just for the little girls. So that's wonderful to see. But my Instagram account is where I get the most messages just because I'm very open and honest about my anxiety. So all of my art is you know, mindfulness and anxiety and the big emotions that a lot of people might be too scared to talk about. So I get a lot of messages just thanking me for being Honest about my own struggles because they felt seen and heard. So that's why I do what I do. You've mentioned
2: your son being biracial and Raman and I both have biracial children. I
0: mean, between the three of us, I mean, we've got one and a half Chinese we've- kids. So <laughs> <laughs> we do. <laughs> I mean, that's not doing fractal. Well, yeah. Actually, um, here's like bad Asian and bad math, right? Because like we have multiple half Chinese kids.
2: So anyway. We do. You're so right. And so when you're passing down culture to him, what are some things that are important for you to make sure that he knows and that he learns from both cultures?
1: I wish that I was better at it. Yeah. With my own. You and me both. <laughs> yeah. All of us. All I'm of being us. honest. It's good that I live close to my parents. So they are able to teach him about no, this No, you can totally and... cheat
0: code it with the parents. Yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like I'm trying to be better. It's awful. The other day he had to, for school, write a report on our family's different cultures and traditions. And he was asking about our Norus that we celebrate the first day of spring, which is our new year. Mm-hmm. And... I just, I could not answer his questions. I had to Google stuff. I'm like, this is terrible. And I don't want him to think that I don't know these answers. But I'm like, uh, I think I need to go to mom's house and get a lesson.
2: I'm always Googling stuff. It's actually on the point where my kids are like, they'll ask me a question. They'll see my expression. They're like, mommy, just Google it.
1: Like, okay, Things are <laughs> thanks letting me off the hook. <laughs> so cute.
2: I mean, we've
0: gotten to the point on this pod where, and again, we've spun it out of even things that aren't part of our culture, but my daughter's half Indian as so is my son, right? So we have one Indian kid in the house and one Chinese kind of <laughs> kid in the house math, but I had to ask like real Indians about their Diwali traditions. And Sharon and I have done a couple of Chinese New Year's episodes for the same reason, because I do think my wife and I were literally talking about this last night about a dish. Her parents are coming to visit soon. And there was a dish that my wife's jagung, grandfather, mom's father, cooked. And we're wondering what her mom's going to cook when she comes to visit. And she was talking about, well, she kind of cooks a watered down version of it because, and then Kat does a watered down version of that. And it's just every generation, it's a little bit as lost. And honestly, oh, one of our oh. best Indian dal and rice recipes didn't come from my mom. It came from the New York Times. Sorry. Oh, really? Because <laughs> it's not that my mom's recipes aren't better. They're harder. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: True. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. So I have I less understand. reps at it. I'm literally scared to make my mom's dish yeah. <laughs> versus the New York Times one is like so much easier.
1: <laughs> I so understand. I don't make Persian food because it takes so long. And actually, in my wedding vows, I told my husband that I would promise to make him his favorite Persian rice. It's been 12 years later. I still haven't learned it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, mom lives right here now. She just makes it. Like I. Okay.
0: (laughs) The one Persian cheat code we do have in our house from a Persian grocery store we discovered nearby was the pomegranate syrup. So whenever we make like Brussels sprouts, like just American Mm. roasted Brussels sprouts, you just douse (laughs) it with the pomegranate syrup. You're good to go.
1: (laughs) Hey, it still works. That's delicious.
0: This is the beauty of like kind of cross culture because it is the kimchi with the steak, right? It's the char with mac and cheese. It's the... um. Man, fish sauce is just like heavenly and it can be added yeah. to anything. Yeah. Anything. That doesn't have to be Chinese.
1: I agree. I agree. We're mixing stuff all the time at home. It's a fusion. It's like we're all
2: just creating fusion menus everywhere fusion children, fusion fishes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Holly, if we were to go back to Ajax, I love that name, by the way, because when you said it, it reminded me of Ajax, the powder cleaner. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, I'd go back to Louisiana, man. I want to go back to Louisiana.
1: How far back do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> it's the setup. Will, Come on. I do not remember anything from Louisiana because I only was there till I was two. All
2: right, yeah.
1: All right. So let's go back to Ajax.
2: And we were to give your younger self some advice. What would you tell? What would you tell young Holly in Ajax today?
1: I would just say, don't hide yourself. Don't try to be like everyone else because that is so boring. It would have taken all of my stress and anxiety away growing up. Even to this day as an artist, I have days where I don't feel like I'm good enough. That It's always there. Yeah. That's great advice. Be yourself. Be yourself. Young be yourself.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's great. Well, Holly, we've covered a lot and we put everybody through all of our guests through speed round, and I think you've earned a speed round. What do you think, Roman? I think she's ready. I think you're ready for speed round.
1: <laughs> oh you no ready for speed round. I'm ready. <laughs> the, oh no, that that's the oh right no. answer. Because you know what, Holly?
0: No one's ever ready for speed round.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm ready.
2: All right, all right. Here's the first one. What is one thing about you that no one expects?
1: I almost didn't go the art route because I was going to be a nutritionist. What? I actually stopped. Yeah, I was in nutrition school. No one actually knows that.
0: Wow. That is like a weird alternate universe.
1: That I is idea. a big yeah, I mean that's I'd be big, crying a so lot less. A I'd leap.
0: be crying a lot less in this universe. So not sure how I feel about that. What is a book or a movie that has or a kid's book that's not yours that has characters that you relate to?
1: Oh my goodness. It's Judy Blooms, Just As Long As We're Together. I think that's the title. I still have my raggedy copy from grade five, and it actually has a little Asian girl in it, but I related to, because they were three 13-year-old girls in this book. It's just about... The ups and downs of friendship and the big emotions and puberty. So, I have read that book so many times, and it was like my security blanket when I was a little kid.
2: Judy Bloom was a staple for me in fifth mm-hmm. and sixth grade. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Oh, so good. I could probably like recite certain passages from there still to this day. Oh,
1: <laughs> books will stay with you. We
2: must, we must, we must increase our bust. Do you remember oh, that part? <laughs>
1: It still has a girl, little girl's need that. It's yeah, so nice. they, they do.
2: What is your favorite mom dish? My mom's dish. Yeah. Well, I guess we could ask it both ways. So, what's your favorite dish that your mom made? And then, what do you think your son would say about what you make for him?
1: So, my mom makes a dish called barrelle polo, which has lima beans and dill in it. It's my absolute favorite. She actually just made it for me on Sunday. Oh, and then my son. I don't know. Okay. To be honest, he really prefers dad's cooking. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he has a favorite mom dish.
0: I kind of bribe my daughter. Like I make baked ziti. <laughs> and it like totally beats out all the Chinese and Indian dishes we make in this house.
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Holly, what's your least favorite food?
1: Tripe. <laughs> okay. Oh, That's can,
2: fair. Yeah. I can get behind That's that. Fair me too. I just,
1: I can't, I'm sorry if anyone out there loves it. My son loves it and he tortures me with it. Him and my husband have so much fun pranking me with tripe. They include it in every mother's day prank that they do for me, I just, I feel like it smells like feet. Like I just can't get over the smell, but him and my husband love it.
2: And when they prank you, what are they doing? Are they flipping it into your coffee
1: or something? So did you ever read those, your three, pick your own adventure books? Yeah, 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 yeah. So my husband goes all out for every birthday and Mother's Day. He's a graphic designer, so he makes my own choose your own adventure day so I get to choose what I want to do all, for the whole uh, day. We're gonna
0: edit that out because your husband's yeah. making
1: all the I'm rest sorry. of us look just like terrible. Right? That's what all of my <laughs> friends say. I'm so sorry.
0: My wife must never hear this episode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: continue. Continue.
0: It's okay. She doesn't so they, listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> they'll always put tripe. They'll say. Ooh, do you want to have something saucy and spicy for breakfast? And they know that that's what I'll want to choose. And then I choose it. And it's like, wah, wah, here's a bowl of tripe. So stuff like that.
0: (laughs) All right. It makes me feel better. They're being a jerk about the thoughtfulness has a jerk quality to it.
1: Oh, of course it does.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's awful. Because at any turn, you just don't know what it's going to show up.
1: <laughs> now, Well, see, now we, I did it back. It's, I revenge to my son. So we did a choose your own adventure for Christmas for him and he hates asparagus. So we did that for him and his choose. And it, I took a picture of myself all angry and giddy holding <laughs> a bunch of asparagus to put in the book for him. <laughs>
0: I love that I, your family has this series of books. that you're yeah. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> I love the dynamic
2: you have. I just want to be there for game night or something because
1: I can't even imagine. <laughs> oh, we like to pick on each other a lot. It's make, it it keeps things like interesting. It. Yes, it definitely seems like it.
2: Who is someone out there that you'd want to talk to on a
1: podcast? Oh, I think Oliver Jeffers.
0: Oh, wow. That's good.
1: I love him. He's one of my idols. I look up to him so much. I have a big print of his on my wall. I have all of his books. It's just, I aspire to be him and not just with his art and his words, but the things that he writes about on his Instagram is just so great. Shining the light on the minorities and women's rights and everything like that. I'm literally going to go and follow him right now. Oh, he's so wonderful.
0: You can tell he has that sensibility because obviously he works on stuff like the crayons books, et cetera. But there's just this thoughtful sensibility. Things like "Here We Are" and "Lost and Found." Sorry, I'm nerding out because kids no are. nerd out. Yeah, it's <laughs> and just there's a a thoughtfulness to the humor. Even the great paper caper had me in more stitches than my daughter, and my daughter was <laughs> like, "Dad, you're weird." <laughs>
1: no, I understand I love his favorite book is stuck it makes oh me my laugh God. so hard so hard every time it's been how many years how many times I've read the it fire and read engine over. goes in the tree at the end <laughs> no, it's, so, it's so ridiculous that's what I love about his books because they're just not all heavy and about a big moral it's just there's some are just it's for pure fun it's just ridiculous humor I love it
0: so good you have good taste <laughs>
1: Thank you. Holly, last question. What
0: does being a modern minority mean to you?
1: It means being proud of who you are and just teaching others of your culture and the specialness that you can bring to the community.
0: That's great. Well, Holly, it's something you do every day. You show, don't tell in your work. And it's such a treat to just kind of go deeper with folks that we've been admiring for a while. I just thank you for doing what you're doing every day. And I cannot wait to see the next projects that you choose to kind of do and show us.
1: Oh, thank you. Seriously, this was so fun. Thank you. Thanks so much, Holly. Thank you.
0: And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform.
2: Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three.
0: Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com.
2: You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you.
0: That's it for now. I've been Ramin Segel,
2: And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
0: Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
2: We'll talk to you soon.